Amen. I want to start with a question for this series. How many of you have had the experience of uh, having a picture in your mind of how something was supposed to turn out, but then when it turned out, it didn't turn out quite as you imagined. Has anybody had that happen in some area of your life? So for me, it's, it's very easy because I can immediately go to every, every do-it-your-home project, do-it-yourself project at my house. There's a way it's supposed to be that I imagine in my mind that there's a way it's supposed to be, and then there's the way that it is. And the way it's supposed to be is often quite different than the way it is. I, I decided to build a fort several years ago. I've preached sermons about it. It's been in my sermon illustrations. I had a picture in my mind of how it's supposed to be and how it is is different than how it was supposed to be. I wanted to build a retaining wall last year, a retaining wall. I thought it was going to be real easy just to stack some blocks, right? It turns out it's not that easy to build a retaining wall. And so the picture that I had in my mind in terms of what it was supposed to be is different than, than, than how it actually turned out. Uh, I tiled my kitchen floor a few years ago. Uh, I had a picture in my mind of how that was supposed to be. In my mind, it didn't have cracks and bumps in it, right? It, was, didn't, it turned out differently than, than I had imagined. Um, maybe some of you have had the experience uh, of this, and, and, and I'll just give you some examples so you can kind of get your own mind going around it. But maybe you've pulled up to a drive-thru, and you see the picture on, on the drive-thru of a nice, big, juicy burger. And, and you know how it's supposed to be, but that's not how it is. Maybe, maybe during the, the early snowstorm we got, your kids said, hey, can we go build a snowman? So you had a picture in your mind of what it was supposed to be. But it turns out not quite what it was. Maybe I'll have some New Year's resolutions for 2023. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get in shape. Right? And it's the eighth, and you're face down, you're face planted. Um, how many of you have ever, you just, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, okay? How many of you have ever taken a before picture? You know what I'm talking about, a before picture? Like you're, you're, you've got a plan, you've got a fitness plan, and you're like, I'm going to take a before picture, and then three weeks from now, I'm going to take an after picture, and it's going to be amazing. I'll probably, they'll publish this in some kind of health journal, yeah? I mean, I've... I can just tell you, I've taken probably 15 before pictures throughout my life. I just haven't gotten to the point where I'm ready to take that after picture. Does anybody, anybody know? I had a friend, I had a friend who, who took a before picture. He wanted to lose 50 pounds. He said, I'm going to get my before picture. So he got his before picture. But instead of losing 50 pounds that year, he gained 50 pounds. And so now his before picture is actually his after picture. He's like, I'm just going to stick with that as my... Because sometimes in life... What's supposed to be is not what is. And, and one thing I love about the new year is that it gives us an opportunity to assess, to look at our lives and go, okay, is my life where it's supposed to be? Is my life on track? And, and every year I do this. This is a personal thing that I like to do. I, 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 at the end of the year, I just begin to assess. And I pray and I say, God, is, am I being the, the father that, that I'm supposed to be? Am I being the husband that I'm supposed to be? Am I being the pastor that I'm supposed to be? Am I being the friend to my friends that I'm supposed to be? Am I being uh, the brother that I'm supposed to be to my sisters and to my, my family? Am I being what you want me to be? Am I on track to becoming the man that you've called me to be? And so a lot of times we do this, I do this, and many of us do this. 
And for a while, I thought as we launched the new year, we would, we would lean in on our personal goals and our personal aspirations and personal habits and, and developing you know, individually who we are supposed to be. But I felt led over the last few weeks to take it one step deeper. Because what I really want us to explore for the next few weeks is I want us to explore the question with God, God, are we collectively as the church who you want us to be? As the community of followers of Jesus, not me individually, although that's part of it, but the bigger picture are, is are we as a church, as one family church, and really as the church around the globe, are we who you imagined we would be? Are we living into the vision that you have for us? You know, Jesus had a picture in mind of the church that he wanted to build. He had a picture. He had a vision of what that church would look like. And he actually expresses it when he gives his disciples the commission. The last words that he spoke on earth after he uh, was risen from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, he said this in Matthew 28. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. And he said, surely I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So he had a picture. And if you drill down on that picture, what you see is Jesus saying, I want you to go to all nations. I want all people from all backgrounds and all ethnicities and all ages old and young, every person, I want them coming together. I want them learning about the love of, of the Father. I want them learning to, to, to do what I commanded you. What did I command you to do? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor. I want you to bring these people together, baptize them, disciple them so that they can go out and pour out the spirit of truth and the spirit of Christ and the spirit of God across the world. That's the picture that Jesus had in mind when he said, I'm going to go launch this church this is what i this is what i imagine i have a picture of what it's supposed to be and we actually see that picture throughout the bible oh it's not just jesus it's over and over through the bible we see from the prophet joel as quoted by peter in the book of acts in the in the sermon that peter gave on the day of pentecost he quoted joel because joel said in the last days talking about the time after jesus god says i'll pour out my spirit on who on all people Listen to this, and then he gets more specific. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. He's got a vision of what his church looks like. It's old and young and men and women from all different backgrounds. Uh, Paul articulated the picture further in the letter to the Galatians. He said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. He said, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see what they're, they're giving a picture of what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like. John, the revelator, uh, had a vision of heaven. And, and he writes about it in the book of Revelation. He says this, there before me in this vision in John, uh, Revelation 7, there before me, he says, was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. There's a picture, if you, if you, if you just imagine what these writers are saying through, through the prophets and the apostles and Jesus himself speaking by the, by the divine 
uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I want the church to look like. And so the question is, as we look around the globe, is that what the church looks like? I'm calling this sermon uh, Divine Design versus Demographic Drift. Because the divine design is the picture that Jesus had for his church. It's the image, it's the ideal picture of what he wanted his church to look like. And so if, if I could sum up all of these scriptures that I just read to you in, a, in a, co- a, a coherent summary, giving you a snapshot, a picture of the church that God has called us to be, this is what it would look like, the divine design. The church was always designed by God to be multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and composed of both men and women. When operating as designed, the church is a vibrant and growing community of spirit-filled believers who eagerly spread the truth of the gospel and the love of Christ around the globe. That's the picture of the church that we see if we take all of the scriptures that show us what the church is supposed to look like and we summarize it. That's, that's what the church is supposed to be. It's multi-generational, it's multi-ethnic, it's men and women. We're filled with the Spirit. We're empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit to spread the love of Christ around the world. We're growing and vibrant, right? That's what the church looks like. So the, this is supposed to look like. But the question is, is that what the church, and I'm not just talking about one family church, I'm talking about the church around the United States and the church of Jesus around the world. Is that what, if Jesus were here, would he say, yeah, this is, this is what I imagine." This is what I envisioned. There's, um, there was a Gallup poll recently, and it's an accumulation of research uh, over years. It, and what you see in the poll is that from 1940 to 2000, I think there's a, there's a, a, a graphic of that. 1940 to 2000, church membership hung around 70% in the U.S. In the year 2000, that number began to fall. Today, today, the percentage of people in the U.S. who consider themselves to be a member of a church has dropped to 47%. And actually, that, that's an inflated number because that also includes mosques and synagogues in the U.S. So the, so, the, so the number of people who say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, we know that not everybody is a member of the church is a vibrant and growing member, you know, follower of Jesus, right? Any more than, you know, being in a garage makes you a car. Amen, somebody, right? So, but... But if somebody says, I'm a member of church, at least they're indicating that there's some desire that they have to be pursuing Jesus. And that, that number, beginning in 2000, has just begun to fall off the cliff. And that's not the picture of the church that Jesus described. When he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. That's a vibrant and growing spreading of the gospel. Dropping from 70 to 47% is, is not the picture that Christ had in mind. It's not the divine design. It's demographic drift. If you drill down on this a little further and you look at by age who is and who isn't going to church, it's, more, it's, it's even a more stark reality. People over 60 are most likely to attend church around the, around the United States. People 40 to 59 are less likely. People 30 to 39 are even less likely. And the least likely group to attend church is 18 to 29. I want that to sink in because at the time of your life when you need the most wisdom, the most direction, the most encouragement, the most help, the most support, the most love, you're least likely to walk into a church in the United States. 
That's not the picture that God had in mind when he said your young men will see visions. Your young women will prophesy. That's not the picture he had in mind. He had a different picture in mind. He had young people in mind streaming into the church and finding hope and joy and truth and love. That's the picture that he had. Now, if we look at the uh, ethnic makeup of the church, researchers from Baylor, Duke, and the University of Illinois conducted a survey to see how many churches in the U.S. are ethnically uh, diverse, meaning that that not more than 80% of the congregation comes from one ethnic group. And here's what they found. 90% 90% of mainline Protestant churches, those, that are, those are traditional Presbyterian, Methodist, Lutheran, Anglican, Episcopalian, 90% of them are what you would call mono-ethnic, meaning they're, they're comprised of only one cultural or ethnic group. There's not, there's not different people from different cultures. Uh, 84% of Pentecostal churches are mono-ethnic, which I found very surprising because I grew up in, in a Pentecostal church as a kid and it was... It was, uh, you know, Pentecostalism started as a, as a, um, as a multi-ethnic movement, and then it became mono-ethnic, obviously, 84%. Um, and so that's, that's, not by, that's not divine design. That's not God's plan. Uh, 78% of evangelical congregations are mono-ethnic, and 77% of Catholic churches are mono-ethnic. That's not the picture that Christ had in mind when he said every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's not the picture that he had in mind. He had a picture in mind of people from all, all cultures and all ethnicities coming together and becoming brothers and sisters and serving one another and loving one another and advancing the gospel together as family. That's the picture that he had. Now, what about the male-female breakdown, the ratio? According to the U.S. Congregational Life Survey, the average American congregation is roughly 61% female, 39% male. That's not the picture that God had in mind. When he said, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see vision. It's, that's not the picture that he had in mind. He had a picture of men and women coming together and serving together and loving together. That's not a picture of divine design. That's a picture of what I'm calling demographic drift. Demographic drift. What happens if we allow demographic drift to, to define us as Christians and as a church If you want to take notes on the difference between divine design and demographic drift, here's what demographic drift means. Demographic drift leads to a shrinking and withering. I think you've got a slide on that. Demographic drift leads to a shrinking and withering mono-ethnic community that seems irrelevant to young people and unimportant to men. Demographic drift, do we have a slide on that? Demographic drift leads to a shrinking and withering mono-ethnic community that seems irrelevant to young people and unimportant to men. That's what the church begins to look like when we are not empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit and we are not active and intentional about, about the Great Commission and doing what God called us to do. It becomes a demographic drift. If you walk into any dying church in St. Louis or anywhere around the country, what you will not find, I'll tell you what you will not find, you will not find men engaged in the gospel. You will not find young people in a dying church. And you will not find a multi-ethnic diverse community in a dying church. You will find a small group of people, mostly women, who are of the same ethnicity, whatever that is, Asian, Hispanic, African American, European American, white, black, whatever, Native, you'll, you'll find a, a mono-ethnic group of 
mostly older women. And you know what they're praying for? They're praying for men, and they're praying for young people, and they're praying for God's revival to break out across the world. Because they're, they're the, thank God for them. Hear me out now. Thank God for the, the few older women that are holding on in these, in these dying churches because they're, they're just trying to keep the flame alive, right? But you know what they know? They know this isn't how it's supposed to look. They know that this isn't how it's supposed to look. And they're praying for God to pour out revival. They're praying for God to really to, to, to come and, and, and reveal himself in their churches. That's what they're praying for. Many of you remember Mother Ray at, at one family church. Mother Ray was uh, one of the founding um, uh, leaders of this church. She was 92 years old when she passed away a few years ago. She was the head of the prayer team for a while. She was the head of the baptism team. And 92-year-old and woman. And you know what? She loved reaching the next generation. She got it. She understood the picture of what God was trying to do. She loved it when, when men would engage with the gospel. She knew what the picture of the church was supposed to look like, and that's what she was going after. And that's what we are going after. So, so the question is, if we don't want to land in demographic drift as not only just one family church, but as the church around the nation... The, the church, the followers of Jesus around the city and around the world, what do we do? What do we do? I want to lay out for you our assignment in 2023. This is the assignment of one family church. This is our assignment. I want to say this to you as your pastor. By God's grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of your hard work, we do not look like demographic drift. We are a multi-ethnic, multi-generational congregation of men and women who are engaged passionately in the gospel, who love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves. And I, and I say that, and we can celebrate that. But I don't say that so that we will celebrate that. I say that because that places a solemn duty upon us. That, that places a sacred responsibility on us as a church to lead the community, to lead the churches in St. Louis, to lead churches around the country in what it looks like to pursue the picture that Jesus had in mind when he said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. So, so we can't rest on the fact that, oh, well, we, we actually do kind of look like the picture. You know, we actually do kind of, we can't rest on that. What we have to do is say, well, now we have a duty. We have a responsibility to go pursue that in a broader sense, to go after that, to lean into that. Because I, I just believe that God has placed that responsibility, that mantle upon us. There are other churches that are doing it too, and I'm, I'm connecting with them and I'm embracing them because I, I, I feel deeply connected to people who are actually pursuing it the way that we're pursuing it and, and, and the way that I think Christ imagined it. But I just want you to know, this is a duty for us. This is a responsibility for us. This isn't like a reward. This is what we do. This is what the church is supposed to look like. And, and that means that at times it will be difficult. At times it will be challenging. At times it will be uncomfortable. And God is saying, I want you to go for it. I want you to take the lead. You know, you know, you know what makes somebody a leader or what makes a church a leader? What makes somebody a leader or an organization a leader is that you're taking people where they haven't been before. And they're following you there. 
And sometimes leadership means you're going places that you've never been before, right? But you have the courage and the direction and the wisdom to do it. I want One Family Church to be a leader in what it means to follow Jesus in the picture that Christ gives us in the Bible of what the church is supposed to be. So what does this look like for us? How do we actually pursue this in 2023? I'm gonna give you three ways, all right? Number one, next generation, next generation. In 2023, we will strategically engage and equip young people under 30 to grow in their faith, to serve in the church, and to lead in the areas of their strength. We're going to engage young people in 2023. We're going to engage young people and draw draw them into the faith in a deeper way and equip them and empower them to serve and grow in the faith. Did you know that if you look through the scripture, we forget this because the scripture just can take this kind of dusty, old kind of picture for, for us. But if you actually think about the people that God called throughout the scripture, over and over, you see God calling young people. Let, let me give you a quick list. David was almost certainly a teenager when God called him and, and he was anointed to be king. Ruth would have probably been around 20 years old when God began to draw her into her divine destiny. Daniel was just a little boy when he was in the temple and God started calling his name and saying, hey, I want to use you and turn you into a prophet. Esther was probably a teenager when God called her to begin serving in her divine destiny. Joseph was a very young man. Most commentators think he was probably around 18 when God began to work in his life and to, and to pour his spirit out onto him. Um, Jeremiah, when I think of Jeremiah, I think of like an old prophet with a massively long beard. But when God called him, he was a very young man. He was so young. He said, I'm a youth. I'm too young. I don't even, and God said, don't say you're youth. I'm calling you, right? I'm calling you into this. Mary was probably a teenager when God put his divine design on her life and began to transform her. So over and over, we see throughout the scriptures that God is calling young people and equipping them. And as a church, that's what I want us to do. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be a church of people who are looking at the young folks, the teenagers, the young adults and saying, hey, we see you. We love you. We have something to to give you. You have something to give us. Let's learn together. Let's grow together. Let's, Let's empower young people to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I want us to be as a church. How are we going to do that? I'm going to give you specifics. Specifics, right? Number one, we're going to launch an internship program this year. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Dr. Conway Edwards, who's, who's my coach, pastoral coach, and we, I was, last week I was just talking to him, and we were talking about staffing, and we were talking about all this stuff, and he says, do y'all do internship programs? I go, no, and he goes, you got to do internship programs, and we began to talk about that as a staff, and it just blew our minds. We're like, yeah, there are all of these 18 to 30-year-olds who want to be developed, who want to grow, who want to learn, and we're going to bring them in. We're going to provide theological training. We're going to provide leadership training, and we're going to provide hands-on experience in every aspect of ministry at One Family Church, which you can use to either do service in the church as you grow up, or you can use it to do whatever you're going to do, what God has called you to do out in the marketplace. So you're going to see young people on the stage. You're going to see them greeting on the, on the cameras. You're going to see them in the children's ministry, in the hospitality area. You're going to see them all over the church because we want to equip and empower the next generation that's what we're about we're going to lead them that's number one number two number two one family youth we're expanding and strengthening our youth program my wife rebecca is the youth director and she's killing it she had 70 
70 kids show up at their last, 76 to 12th graders show up at their last event, and she's launching um, a bi-monthly event. So the first and third Sunday of every month is going to be 6th to 12th graders. And there's going to be events and teaching. They're going to be breaking out into life groups. It's going to be an absolutely powerful opportunity for 6th to 12th graders to begin to grow in the Lord. We want to see, I want to see every teenager, every 6th to 12th grader in a life group. I want to see every 6th to 12th grader on the dream team. I want to see every 6th to 12th grader in the word daily, praying, fasting, growing in the Lord. I want to see them transformed by the power of the Spirit. I don't want another generation to drift demographically. I want them to get a hold of the divine design that God has for them. That's what we're going to do with One Family Youth. One Family Kids, Jennifer Williams, our, our One Family Kids director. She's never in here because she's always upstairs with the kids. She is staffing up her team to ensure that we're providing a world-class opportunity for kids to come together, learn scripture, memorize scripture. We're, we're not, we talk about this. We're not just teaching them. We're training them. We're training them up in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. We want to train them in every aspect of their life, learning and growing as little kids, inviting them into the gospel to experience the love and the grace and the power of Jesus. All of the studies will tell you that the more a young child is connected with the life of the church, the more they're in the word, the more that they learn how to pray, and the more they see adults modeling and demonstrating what it means to be a Christian, the more likely they are to follow Christ as an adult when they grow up. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to go all in on reaching the next generation. Now, what some of you may be asking is, okay, what does that mean for me? Because some of us are not 29 and below anymore. Amen, somebody? (laughs) Does this mean, oh, I check out? Or does this mean the church isn't for me? No. It means the opposite of that. It means you and I are commissioned and called to be the ones that are training and equipping and discipling the next generation. This can't happen without us. This can't happen. If the next generation is not taught and led and developed by people who are older than them, it won't happen. In fact, we've done informal surveys at One Family Church several, several times and in various discussions. The one thing that is always repeated by the young adults, primarily the young adults and the under 30 crowd in our church, the number one need, spiritual need that they have is an older adult to help mentor, disciple them. They want cross-generational discipleship and mentorship. They say it every time and we go, man, that's a great idea. And now I'm saying, hey, if you're over 30, You are called and commissioned to go find some young people and start leading them and helping them grow in the faith, bringing wisdom to them, bringing clarity to them, helping provide structure and encouragement for them. We're calling each and every one of us who's over 30 to be the ones empowering the next generation. Are you with me this morning, One Family Church? That's what we are called to do and be. So that's that's age, right? Next generation. Number two, multi-ethnicity. In 2023, we will intentionally and strategically focus on reaching people from all ethnicities with the gospel of Jesus. Everybody, everybody around St. Louis, white, black, Hispanic, Asian, native, wherever a person comes from, I want to learn how to be more like Christ and reach the entire nations with the gospel of Jesus. That's what I want to do. I want to show you something in Revelation that you may, you may know and you may not know. I read this scripture earlier uh, when John saw heaven, right? He said this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What you may not know is the language that he used for that phrase, every nation. It, it was Greek. He wrote it in Greek. And the, the actual words that he used are pantos ethnos. 
pantos, ethnos. Pantos means all, right? This is where we get the word panorama or panacea or pandemic, right? Ethnos is where we get the word ethnicity. It means culture. It means nationality. It means people group. So when John is saying I, I, that, that we're reaching everybody, pantos, ethnos, he's saying every single ethnicity, every culture, every tribe, that is what we're going after, and that's what heaven's going to look like. So I want to be a part of that picture. So at One Family Church, we're going to go out of our way to do that. I'm going to spend time with people from all different backgrounds and walks of life and start to learn different ways to minister and lead. But my goal is that we will be a, a church that's reaching people from every culture, every tribe, every, tri every tongue. Is somebody with me this morning? Number three, men. In 2023, we will increase our focus on engaging and equipping men to grow in their faith, serve in the church, and lead in the areas of their strength. Now, what you might be saying is, hold on a minute, what about the women? What about the women? Now, here's what I want to say to you. The number, behind Easter, the number one attended service on Sunday mornings in churches around the nation is what? Mother's Day. Mother's Day. You know what the least attended Sunday is around the world? The least attended Sunday around is Father's Day. That's not by divine design. That's demographic drift. That's a problem. And so when Father's Day is as big as Mother's Day at the church, when men are as engaged as women in serving and leading and being involved in life groups, when, when men are, are, are as deeply embedded in, in iron sharpening iron and they're opening their hearts and receiving the Spirit of God and, 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 and reading with others and praying with others and opening their lives to the gospel. When that happens, then we'll back off. Until that happens, we're going after the men. We're going to double down on reaching the men at One Family Church. And here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. We have a lot of very powerful, mature women in leadership at One Family Church, from our trustees to our ministry council to our, to our staff, executive level of leadership. And every single mature woman of God knows that the picture that God wants is for the men to be just as engaged as the women. So every mature woman of faith knows we got to go after the men. So that's what we're going to do. We're going after next generation, multi-ethnicity, and men. Um, and, 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 and I just want to invite all of us to do that. Uh, for the men, we're going to be launching a men's hub, men's life group hub. Um, you know, we have a lot of life groups for men that we'll be launching in the fall. Um, but Barry and Pastor Tyler and a member of our church named Mike goes on uh, are developing a hub where we'll have regular gatherings for the men of One Family Church to read together, to read the Bible together, to read commentaries together, to open up their lives and to experience the power of the Spirit in their lives. Um, so that's, that's, that's what we're going after. That's the assignment in 2023. Now, in 2023... If we pursue that assignment, we will begin to see a picture emerge. What will that picture look like? And here's, here's what I want to share with you. This is, this is the vision of what I see for One Family Church. This is the vision of what I see. And I'm closing with this. A vision, by the way, a vision by definition is a picture not of the way things are, but of the way things are supposed to be. When you have a vision of something, it's a vision of the way it's supposed to be, not the way it currently is. I see this for One Family Church. I see thousands upon thousands of men and women across St. Louis and beyond, old and young, 
rich and poor, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, native, every ethnicity, every culture, every language under the sun, being drawn into the faith of Jesus, being drawn into the saving faith of Christ, being filled with the Spirit, being made into the image of Christ, becoming committed followers of Jesus, growing in the faith, and then being commissioned to pour out the love of Christ around the globe in cascading streams of truth, hope, justice, and peace. That's what I see. I see atheists, agnostics, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, and Muslims coming into a real and transformative relationship with the risen Lord. That's what I see. I see addictions being broken. I see spiritual bondage being shattered. I see passionate praise and intimate worship breaking out across the city. I see people feasting on the word of God and having their souls nourished by the word of God. I see little kids being trained up in the knowledge and the wisdom of the grace of God. I see teenagers finding their true identity in Christ. I see young adults discovering their vocation and purpose. I see marriages restored. I see single people confident in their identity, serving and leading in the gospel. I see the hungry fed. I see the naked clothed, the guilty forgiven. I see the captive set free. I see justice pour down like water. I see righteousness pour down like a mighty stream. I see crooked things made straight, mighty things made low, humble things exalted. I see young people trained in ministry and sent out as missionaries, pastors, ambassadors, professors, doctors, lawyers, teachers, laborers, politicians, writers, musicians, artists, poets, all filled and brimming with the joy and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what I see. I see a city transformed. I see a nation restored, a revival of unprecedented impact. I see a people committed at One Family Church, committed to prayer and fasting committed to obedience to God, committed to service and generosity, committed to rest and restoration. I see a picture of the church as it is supposed to be, a picture of a powerful army whose only weapon is love and whose only message is the gospel of peace in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what I see for One Family Church. And so I would invite you, each and every one of you, in 2000. 23 to play your part to add your brushstroke to add your pixel to the picture of the church as it is supposed to be let us continue as members of one family church let us continue to serve and sacrifice to preach teach give sing evangelize work laugh eat dance and dream as we live out the mission of bringing people and God together in love. Because that is what the church is supposed to be. And this is how we fam. Amen, somebody? Let's bow our hearts. Let's bow our heads. Father, we invite you. We thank you for your your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for drawing out a picture for us to see as a church, as a community of what it is that you have in mind for us. God, I pray that we would not be overwhelmed by this picture. I pray that we would not be confused by this picture or discouraged by this picture. I pray that we would be exhilarated by this picture. I pray that we would be so filled with the joy of the challenge. And know, Lord God, that we cannot do it on our own. 
that we are walking by the power of your spirit, that you are filling us with your strength to go and do and be and live the life that you've called us to live. I pray that over the next few weeks we would gather every week together as a family and learn together and grow together and set our hearts and our minds and our expectations toward a picture of what the church is supposed to be. Teach us what it means to be the family of God. Teach us what it means to be the body of Christ. Teach us, Lord, what it means to, to pursue a church that looks like the church you described on the night that you were betrayed when you cried out to the Father and said, God, make them one. Father, make them one even as we are one. Bring them into complete unity so that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them even as you have loved me. I pray, Lord God, we would grow into the picture that you have for us. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Would you stand with me as we close out?